0: What is up everyone, my name is Adnan Shafi and I'm going to be bringing you guys the 10th season of Pariah Nation. We turned one year old a few days ago and it's a really exciting experience. We've upgraded some equipment, but as usual, we're keeping it real. We keep you guys with the best guests essentially um, on the continent and off the continent. And today we're going to be talking about mental health from the African perspective. So now just to introduce our guests, we have Pauline Gethey from Within and Without, which is a foundation that advocates for mental health on the African continent and just in general. Pauline, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for that introduction, Adnan. I think you said everything. Yeah, My name is Pauline Gethey, but I am a co-founder of the Within and Without Foundation together with my best friend, Brenda. And we do yeah everything advocacy of mental health, both in Africa, and we try to do you know, a holistic sort of perspective in each and every way possible. So yeah, I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Pauline. And we also have Michelle Abieru. I hope I pronounced it right this time. But if you guys will remember from our podcast, roughly in March, I think we're talking about police brutality in the Kenyan context. She is back and now she's going to be talking about mental health because she's also a mental health advocate on the continent. So Michelle, just give us a brief description of yourself.
2: Hi, I am so honored to be here. Uh, My name is Michelle Labiero. I am the co-founder of Project Smile, which is a project that was started with an aim of spreading awareness on mental health and suicide. Uh, So yeah, I do a lot of advocacy around mental health due to the fact that mental health is extremely stigmatized in my community.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And let's get right into it. I think we're gonna start off with a small kind of exercise. And for, for people to just have some sort of context, we are all Kenyan. And uh, yes, I did I did consider obviously getting guests from different perspectives and I don't think a lot of them were actually free. So we're just gonna have to deal with it from our perspective, but I've lived in South Africa so I can definitely kind of chime into that as well. But generally speaking, we'll be looking at a Kenyan perspective and mainly I'd say East African perspective. That's where most of our perspectives will be coming from. So just, just to sort of like describe what's going on for this activity. Let's describe mental health or the general attitudes on the African continent um, towards mental health in a word and explain why you choose that word. Let's start off with Pauline.
1: Okay, the word I will use is a burden. And I'm using this word because I was just reading the mental health task force um, of 2019. And they use that word I think more than 20 times to describe mental health. They kept saying we need to rid this burden, this burden that is causing our, you know, our people to fall into addictions and this burden that is killing our people. And I just sat there and wondered why are they calling it a burden? Like it is with us, it is real, it is clearly killing us and making a lot of people suffer, but it shouldn't be a burden. So I think just in my perspective, that's what has been residing in my head a lot this time. And in just this period and just this year, because even through all their talks and all the news anchors, all they're saying is that, you know, mental health is a burden and COVID-19, you know, the burden of mental health and how it's been affecting us. So yeah, that's the word I will use.
0: Yeah, and what about you, Michelle?
1: Um, The word I would use is
2: stereotype or stereotypical. And the reason why I choose this word is basically it's been inspired by the danger of a single story by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, it's a TED Talk, um, where she describes the whole danger of having a stereotype towards something. So in the Kenyan context and generally the African context, we do have a stereotype or a single story of how mental illnesses and mental health looks like. We view mental illnesses as a burden, as Pauline has said, we just view it as a problem and this uh, menace in our society that we need to get rid of instead of an issue that we need to handle so yeah that would be the word i would use it's we have a very stereotypical point of view of it
0: yo i definitely i vibe with the points that you guys are bringing through and i think the word that i'll use is peripheral so i feel like every single time we talk about africa's vision africa's mission and what what essentially we want to go in the next 50 100 years I always hear talk of the economy. I always hear talk of, you know, job creation. I always hear talk of uplifting people from poverty. And these are all novel things. These are all good things. But I barely hear discussions about mental health. And this is why we actually find that many Sub-Saharan African countries spend less than 1% on mental health. Yeah, mental health essentially in terms of facilities, Uh, let's say hiring psychiatrists, et cetera, educating people about this. And for me, that is so shocking because we know that I believe suicide is the second leading cause of death worldwide from ages 15 to 29. What do those statistics, how do those statistics make you feel?
1: Um, I can start. Okay, so in my experience, I feel like that's such a pressing issue that so many of us are overlooking. Like it is clear it is in the World Health Organization that it is the second leading cause, yet no one is talking about it. Everyone is so ashamed to even say, oh, my child committed suicide or say I know someone who committed suicide. Even in just our daily conversations, you barely hear anyone talking about it. And if they're talking about it, they're talking about it in a way that it's just so negative and it always has these connotations around it that never bring out any positive appeal to it as much as yes suicide is not a good thing it is still something that we need to you know change the way people view it change the way people talk about it because personally my best friend committed suicide and I told my parents and they were like oh my goodness and my parents are very typical African parents. And they were like, I, why did he commit suicide? Why did he take his life? They were so confused because, you know, this guy was wealthy. This guy had, you know, everything that he needed. He went to the best school. He, His family was okay. So just the thought that they had of why would he take his life? Like, it doesn't make sense to them. So just that whole idea of people not being open-minded about it, people not being able to you know, share their views and being able to understand why it is happening, like what we can do about it and, you know, how we can move forward. So I guess that's just my view for now.
0: Yeah, first of all, so sorry about the loss of your friend. And I'm unfortunately also one of those people who was in a position whereby I was talking to one of my friends um, and she came from an East African community. And she was put in a position whereby she was kicked out of her house because of another taboo topic that I won't focus on for now. And that sort of snowballed into her just taking her own life. And if you guys want the whole story, you can go and go onto my TikTok on the further context, because I was just kind of shocked that, you know, someone could actually be pushed to that level where they think that their existence is burdening other people. And I feel like There's a lot of stigma as Michelle said about mental health in general, so a lot of people will talk about. Mental health in those negative senses and it's something that people don't really want to acknowledge as a real issue. And then you also pointed out a good thing when you said that people saw that your friend had a good life, etc, and you know they were in school all this different stuff, and I think that people sort of make mental health seem like you're soft. It's like, you know, if you are if you have a mental health problem, then you're soft. If you're depressed, you're soft. If you have anxiety, you're soft. If you have a problem coping with the stresses of life, then you're apparently soft. And I think that also people think that just because you have your economic situation is great, that your mental health care is also great. And obviously that is a fallacy. And we know that a lot of people, even the entrepreneurs that are making millions of millions of dollars, Uh, of dollars in the us for example a lot of them are actually suffering with a lot of stress and a lot of mental health issues and i think we'll go to michelle now to sort of chip in what do you think about this michelle
2: um first off i am genuinely sorry for both of your losses um it must be hard losing somebody to suicide the statistic itself it generally makes me sad and then it makes me angry and it makes me angry for a number of reasons first off it's how we don't even have okay um we never used to have a suicide hotline in kenya it, a new one came this year by basic need watch and that was our first suicide hotline attempted suicide in itself is such a taboo topic there are laws against attempted suicide in kenya if you attempt suicide technically you should um go for jail time which is like how are you helping this person by taking them to jail um if they've attempted suicide The first thing you need to get them is help. You know, help for them to actually recover from these dark times. We have stigmatized, you know, discussions towards like suicidal thoughts. Um, People can't even open up when they're feeling suicidal because of the judgment they receive and the fact that there's no care towards it. There's even in schools. Like I feel like there're no proper structures in place to help students cope with stresses and issues that are happening with their lives.
0: Yeah, that's shocking that's genuinely shocking that, I mean, it's not even just in Kenya, I think there's a couple of countries around the world, quite a few of them, where attempted suicide is a crime that is punishable by jail time. I mean, my question is, you know, the, the, the issue is that that person is suffering from mental health issues. Why are you punishing them for being in that position? And it's more likely yeah, they probably even can't control control those emotions that they're feeling or at least they don't know how to be able to control the situations that they're in to properly process their emotions and i think that laws like that need to be repealed and unfortunately as we already stated you know with the budget the budget is less than one percent it shows you how little the governments actually care about mental health as a topic, all they care about is like, yeah, I agree there's issues with the economy, et cetera. But I feel like it's gotten to the point whereby mental health is now just a side issue that no one really talks about in government. There's no significant talk about it or no significant action being taken to actually stem these suicidal attempts. I mean, uh, Pauline, what's, what can you say about this suicide uh, uh, law that they sort of passed and you know, people can go to jail for essentially attempting suicide. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, Goodness, I'm actually so happy she raised this because um, I'm studying law and one of my units is criminal law. And in the penal code, it is actually in section 209, where it talks about suicide packs, and they actually call it manslaughter and murder. So I'm just trying to (laughs) understand how can suicide be, you know, punishable in the same way as someone who is committing murder like someone who clearly like their intentions are different their motives are different they're going through different things and we actually had a heated debate about this in school and we realized that this law is actually so terrible yes we understand that it's discouraging people to commit suicide but it clearly isn't doing a good job it's not inhibiting anyone because people still do it and as much as it is a law some people don't even know that other people attempted attempted suicide so they're not really putting in any measures to be able to help them and yes number two as she said as Michelle said um how can you be sent to jail for attempted suicide because jail will only make the matters worse because you're in you know a f- four walls, how is that going to make a person better? Just stuck with their thoughts, stuck with their irrational beliefs. It's only going to make the situation worse because they don't receive any form of therapy, any psychiatric help. And if they do, it's not effective at all. And once they're released back, back sorry, into the public, back into the real world, it will still persist and they will still try again. And another thing is suicide packs. So if, for example, my friend and I actually decide yes you know i'm tired of this life and um let's attempt suicide together or please help me attempt suicide that person will also go to jail and as much as yes it is wrong for them to encourage someone to do something like that it is still something that needs to be addressed in a better way so this whole punishable thing is not excusable for the law to be able to you know try and prevent it because it is not preventing anyone at all anytime I don't know this really pisses me off so thank you so much for Michelle bringing this up and this is something that I actually hope to amend or something I hope to put out once I finish my profession because this is just ridiculous yeah
0: yeah I mean what I find most ironic about this is the fact that a society can punish you for their own failings and the government can be like okay, you know, we're going to put you in jail if you attempt suicide. But also, we don't give you the resources that you need to be able to deal with mental health issues that could lead to suicide. And I mean, I'm going back to some of the writings of Wangari Mathai, when she talks about activism and solving community issues. She talks about going to the root of the problem and being able to just, you know, you have to actually cut off the root if you want that problem to stop growing like a plant. I believe that's what she said. And there's so much that we can be able to learn from that. We have to learn from that because, I mean, the governments are seeing it as an issue of, oh, we, are, we need to stop people from committing suicide. So we need to deter them. But how are you going to deter people, right? When some people don't even conceive that they're going to survive the suicide attempt, you know? So they're probably doing it thinking that they're going to end up killing themselves, right? And so they don't, they think that they're not going to be subject to those laws anyways. So I think definitely this is one of those things and I'm going to look it up in terms of which countries still sort of outlaw attempted suicide. But I don't think, yeah, obviously I'm not saying we should encourage it, but it should be decriminalized and those people need help. And there needs to be certain budgetary allocations made to those situations. And did anyone else wanna add anything before we move on?
2: yeah I did want to add a couple of things I think Pauline has brought out so many good points because I remember the first time I I came across this I was initially shocked like I was like how are you taking somebody who's attempted suicide to jail like it, it made no sense to me at all and I was like okay but what about um you know getting them help getting them into therapy and all that and you know to me when I read like the mental health task force report and all that I'm like Technically, we are treating the symptom and not the actual disease. We're not treating the issue at hand. We're just treating some of the symptoms. Okay, fine, I'll say, hey, let me establish like a psychiatrist center and not try to figure out what's causing people to let's say have suicidal thoughts. We're not doing that. Instead, we're like, hey, we will um, criminalize attempted suicide. And that's why we don't even have the right statistics on attempted suicide. You look up suicide statistics in Kenya, you will only get like people who have actually you know, committed suicide. How about us trying to figure out a way to help people who attempted? Because of the fact that they survived should be something, hey, we should be like, hey, at least they survived. Now, what's the way forward? You know?
0: Yeah, thank you so much for that, Michelle. And actually, speaking on that, I wanted to focus particularly on COVID 19. Definitely, a lot of people in general are suffering from mental health issues that are probably being exacerbated by things like lockdown things like quarantine, and this comes in different ways, shapes, and forms. Some people are losing family members, some people are losing friends to this virus, some people also just being deprived of social contact. I'm sure we can all agree that when it comes to obviously being able to see people, human beings are social animals, so we definitely, we we, we strive based on you know, the, just having people that support us. And we've been wired that way. I think there was one experiment where they did, where they they told the woman to go into one of these sort of bunkers and she was supposed to stay there for as long as possible without human contact. And her body sort of changed so much that she even stopped having periods after I think it was 90 days. And that's crazy. I mean, like that just shows you how mental health literally actually affects your physical body too. And, you know, something like depression, for example, can make you extra tired and for some different people, that affects them in different ways. So how has COVID-19, first of all, impacted your community's mental health, especially on the African continent? Let's, let's focus it there. And how have you been able to deal with that? What tips do you have for people in being able to deal with that?
2: Um, definitely. I think, you know, suicide and mental health has dip- disproportionately affected men. For example, take a look at the 2017 statistics for mental health or for suicide in Kenya. There are 441 suicides and out of 441, 330 of them were men this statistic was extremely concerning, like why are men committing suicide at a higher rate than women? Now, of course, I can't speak about, you know, being a man in this, this current society, but I can only, you know, do my research and, and find out how why, you know, why are men affected by mental health this badly? So in doing some further research, a bit of reading, asking my friends here and there, you know, one conclusion I came up with is that, you know, this is partly due to toxic Masculinity, and I know someone would be like, "Ha, the feminists with their agenda." But you know, we have put this, (laughs) we put this notion that men can't express the emotion. The minute a man comes up to you crying, you're like, "You're not a man enough. You're not a man. Why are you crying? Men don't cry." How many times have we said such toxic statements to little boys? You'll see a little boy crying. Instead of trying to comfort this boy who's crying, you'll be like, "Boys don't cry. Why are you crying? You're a boy." Yet if a girl comes crying, a baby, like a girl who's a child, yeah, you'll be like, she's crying, hey, what's the issue? What happened? We don't treat boys the same when it comes to that. And then we have this crazy expectation of men to provide. So the minute a man is not providing in any house or um, in any form or shape, we view them as useless. So you see, a man's worth essentially at times is tied to how much they're making. What are they doing for the society? Then there's the whole idea of you can't talk about your emotions. You can't say you're not okay. Even when they're with their boys, they don't express their emotions. Because when I ask like my male friends, like, do you talk about your emotions with the boys? They'll be like, I no, we don't do that there. We don't do that. Like we can't express our emotions. Like, why are we telling each other why we're feeling sad? It's just not normal. So it's a very sad state. And we actually need to work on that culture as a community because we've instilled this culture in men that they're not allowed to express their emotions, yet they're also human. And they also have emotions
0: yeah I totally agree, and I mean, yeah, I don't know why people always just the moment they hear something like toxic masculinity, they're like, "Oh, you know, it's these feminists, you know they they get all super defensive, some people actually do that, and I remember trying to explain to some people <clears throat> and them just completely dismissing the ideal because it's a feminist ideal, apparently, and I think that this is this is one of the main issues at the end of the day. <clears throat> Michelle is completely right. I feel like a lot of us have socialized uh, <clears throat> our children to believe that, especially the males, that yeah, you can't be expressing your emotions. At the end of the day, men have to be these strong sort of invincible figures. And like, you know, it just it comes down to the small things. This is why when people say, oh, you're thinking too deep. No, we're not thinking too deep because these things actually compound over time. When you, when let's say you fall down when you're young, and your dad decides to say, oh, you know, real men don't cry, real men don't cry. And does this doesn't just extend um, to the public realms, like in the private realm too, it's like, why are you crying? No, men are not supposed to cry. And I don't understand where this comes from. Like it's generally, it's really toxic because now men are in a position where they feel like they cannot speak. And that, there was this BBC documentary on one of these different villages uh, in Kenya where they, I think it was in the Western province, I can't remember which province, Uh, but they had a suicide pandemic, essentially. Uh, Sorry, epidemic. Yeah. And they were literally having people just committing suicide on the daily. And a lot of these men just came together and they said that, yeah, we sometimes don't feel like we can speak even amongst our friendship groups. We were unable to speak about these issues that are currently facing us. So that's definitely something we need to look into. And Pauline, would you like to add anything to that?
1: Yes, I have actually two things to say. The first one is I was watching a documentary about suicide cases in our rural sectors in Kenya, and it was mainly prevalent in the male society. So they were basically talking about why and they were saying um, when men feel like they have failed to provide, they have failed to, um, you know, assume their roles, they decide the be- next best option is suicide or just to leave their family and stop being a burden on them. And um, I think some sort of European person came in and brought the men together and asked them, okay, what is the problem? And the men were saying that the women are expecting too much. They were actually airing their views. And they were like, my wife, she's always crying about how I'm not bringing enough money, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh my goodness. and I'll connect this to a book I was reading the other day, and it's called The Imperialism of Patriarchy by Bell Hooks. And it was basically talking about how, yes, the Western people brought the whole idea of patriarchy to Africa. And they were just saying that, um, yeah, they just brought those ideals that, you know, women should be the housewives and men should be the one who, you know, are working and fending for their families. And then it brought something up, Um they quoted a woman, her name is Amiri Baraka. And she, in one of her books, she was just basically saying how women enjoy that level of patriarchy. They enjoy the masculinity. They enjoy being um, the subordinates and, you know, lesser hierarchy in the the family. And I was like, okay, this really doesn't make sense to me. But, you know, her view is her view. And she was saying all those shiv... I don't know how to say that word, but I know what what I'm talking about. All those codes of manhood were portrayed in a way that the white man brought it to the black man. And they were basically, you know, trying to find common ground and the common ground that the white man and the black man found was patriarchy, because the black man, of course, was a slave and the white man was um, the superior and that common ground of patriarchy is what resided and it grew and it grew and it grew and it has literally engrafted itself in men's hearts and in their minds to the point that they have completely overlooked any form of you know having feelings and emotions so just that root all the way from you know slave trade is just insane and I think it actually had a big impact on us I mean we have made serious steps and we have trenched so many miles but as Africa I feel like we're still a bit behind on including the males in this whole talk of mental health
2: yeah I feel like Pauline again has brought out really excellent points um, just the whole idea of men having to provide from a very young age you put this pressure on men like listen your whole you know, life was around you providing so even when it comes to how much they earning how much are they able to fend for their family and all that you know it's always it always boils down to that it always boils down to what are they doing how are they providing for their families so it puts this unnecessary pressure on men to constantly provide and if they're not doing that then they feel useless then what's next they probably have suicidal uh, thoughts the fact that they'll have suicidal thoughts and no support structures in place what happens next boom we just hear a case of someone has committed suicide. And I remember a time um, there was a documentary, I believe it was by BBC Africa, and they're exploring um, suicide rates in, amongst men in central Kenya. And looking at it, I was so devastated. I was like, this is really happening within our country and we're not doing anything to tackle this issue. So we need to destroy this toxic masculinity that has taught men from a very, very young age that they cannot express their emotions.
0: Yeah. I think one thing I'll mention as a caveat um, for people is that, yeah, we're not going to attempt to answer all the questions about mental health in Africa in general, because our continent is absolutely huge. But I feel like there's certain issues that are definitely connected to the African continent in a unique way in relation to this issue. And now what I find, uh, I'll move into this idea of the imperialism, all this different stuff that Bell Hooks uh, addressed in her book. And I think that it's sort of a mixed bag and in the sense that there were some cultures that definitely had matri- they were matrilineal societies and um, there was a lot of people that were actually like ruled by certain queens for example and you find certain societies whereby there was an element of patriarchy as well. I believe if you look into I think the Bakongo people uh, before colonialism there were some patriarchal sort of elements. And I think Queen Zinga sort of overturned those. And um, during her time, uh, it was kind of interesting how the the masculinity and femininity dynamics worked there because apparently she had a harem of like 60 men or like male concubines that she would dress in female clothing. So I think that what you find in some African cultures is not the fact that they didn't necessarily have some element of patriarchy within them, what they had was a different form of patriarchy. So even if you look in places like Dahomey, which was, I believe it was a sub-tribe or one of the former tribes that broke away from the Yoruba, uh, they had this whole uh, Dahomey Amazons. Essentially, there were women that, it was a total women, like a force of females that just essentially, they would be fighting the French and all these other different groups that were trying to colonize. And there was a special force that the king had actually nominated to protect him, but also to protect the kingdom in general. And what you find is that they were actually seen as men, but in a different way than we'd actually traditionally sort of see it from a Western perspective. So you'd have some, like in in Western society, obviously if you're, uh, for example, back then if you're a woman, then there was no way that you could ever be seen as a male, just from that patriarchal sort of viewpoint. But from this sort of sense, if you became a Dahomey Amazon, then you'd actually be seen as um, a woman who became a man. So it's not like they were seen as female soldiers, but they were actually seen as women who became men, essentially, which was a very interesting dynamic. So I think some cultures, definitely, when you talk about the common ground, I think there was that common ground. But for some other cultures, it was a bit more difficult to expect that. But also, even speaking of the providing thing, there were some African cultures that sort of had that division of labor. If you look at the Wanga kingdom, for example, um, the women were actually supposed to be the ones cooking while the men were actually talking and maybe they'd uh, smoke something while they talk with their friends. That was sort of the culture there, right? And I think that we're starting to see that a lot of different cultures, they have those crossroads. So how do we sort of go in to these cultures, right? And we talk about mental health without, for example, offending cultural Uh, sensibilities, or at least finding a common ground and saying that, okay, look at it from this way, right, because some cultures do have that idea of the man providing, but perhaps, let's say that, for example, that could be a role that they want to actually believe in as a culture, right, but saying that it's not necessarily that uh, providing is the only source of your character, right, but there's also other different parts of your character as a man that actually make you who you are. So what do you guys think about that? Cause that's one thing that I've been having a major issue being able to reconcile, being go, going into cultures and you don't want to sound like you're telling them what to do because you obviously get a really bad response but at the same time, maybe working with them to actually build um, a mental health I mean, a pro mental health sort of society.
2: I find that question really interesting because tackling culture and mental health is one of the most difficult things to do. For example, where I come from, um, if someone died, like through suicide, someone committed suicide, the funeral, no one is supposed to mourn. You're not supposed to be seen crying because it's deemed like this person is not worthy of just being a worthy send off. And another thing that used to be practiced a long time ago is that if someone had committed suicide, it was believed that they had been possessed and um, their body was supposed to be beaten up. And of course, with uh, progress in society, there's some aspects of culture that do shed off. I do believe in cultural preservation, but at the same time, we keep what's good and we leave what's bad. For example, I don't think it's okay to beat up someone's, you know, corpse. It's just not okay in any form or shape. Um, if someone committed uh committed suicide, it's not okay for you to say, Hey, we're not going to uh, mourn this person because they went through this way. It's supposed to be actually a very silent um barrier, like no one should be mourning, you're not supposed to be seen crying. And it's like, Wow, what exactly do we do when it comes to this? So there are people who will still believe in, like, hey, mourning possession is real, like this person was possessed and all that, and that's why they committed suicide. When this person is possessed yet they have maybe schizophrenia and they're having hallucinations so it's always a very fine line to walk so of course when you go there when you're having such discussions you don't end, go there trying to convince this person your standpoint you go there trying to understand where they're coming from because if I come to you and instead of empathizing with you and trying to understand where you're coming from uh, I will not get much out of that conversation. Instead, it will be like, I'm trying to attack you and what you believe in, which is not okay. At the end of the day, it will not be productive.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Oh my goodness, that's actually quite funny. The whole point of they're not able, allowed to grieve and to show emotions, that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think the point I'll bring across is just the fact that we need to desensitize the idea that Mental health is a Western ideal and it's not something that you know actually resides in Africa. And I think that's a very important question that you've asked, Adnan, because most of our cultures they don't like intruders. They don't like other people coming to tell them what to do, how to think, and you know how to move forward. So it needs to come from someone within them, whether it's their council elders, whether it's their leaders, whether it's, you know, someone in a superior authority who can come and tell them, listen, this is not a Western thing, this is with us and we can clearly see it because of this, this and that. And I think that's the best way to approach such a situation is just to, as Michelle said, to rid that stereotype and that stigma and within their own selves. And I think that's just the best way. It's gonna be very tricky, but you just need to reach one person and that one person can be able to change their minds because that one person is all they need. Because coming from us, it won't be the same. I can't go and tell a Luo tribe to go doing this as a Kikuyu or a Kamba because they wouldn't take me seriously at all. So that whole tribal conflict thing, it will come in the way and we just need to find a way to break that barrier.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, this is a really tough question for me guys, because I mean, like it comes down to the question of what do we think is right and wrong? And right, right and wrong is so subjective in so many different cultures. And I think that obviously now with globalization, we're in a position whereby there are certain values that are viewed by social consensus to be in quotes, correct values. But even just like charged terms, like saying that, um, you know, okay, I'm going to, I think that this is wrong. You know, this is like, you know, those societies will see you as someone that, you know, who are you? And as you said, the foreigner. So I think it's, it's so difficult to, tell people that you need to change your way of life in order to to sort of have this shared goal. So I think that, I mean, this is one of those things where you need to really talk with the community. And first of all, understand the culture, understand why people believe what they want, what they believe, and understand is that belief something that they might be willing to compromise on. For example, like the body beating one, or even just the idea of you're not supposed to mourn someone. And I think that to an extent, you can have those cultural preservations. Like let's say that's an integral part of a native religion, right? And like, you know, they do not want to change that, right? Then I think you could possibly, I mean, sometimes you also have to cut your losses and look at uh, look at it from the perspective that you know, maybe instead of focusing on the idea of mourning, how do you get people not to commit suicide and look at it from a common ground perspective? because the thing is at the end of the day, you might think that this is totally like you know, it's totally crazy at the end of the day you can disagree with them but also we're talking about you know this world that we've really championed this idea of multiculturalism and i think it's so that's one of the most difficult questions we really have to answer as a continent that is so 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 diverse especially when it comes to mental health because as um, michelle talked about some people see it as someone that's like you know possess themselves etc and i think that we need to just sort of have like you know all these group meetings within these communities and get people within there. But also I think another solution is obviously national education. So by national, I mean like you know, people getting into those classrooms and being able to interact with people from different tribes, different ideas, and being able to interact with mental health in the curriculum, which unfortunately does not even feature so prominently in the in the curriculum itself in a lot of African countries, which is something that I definitely think that we need to change. So we've now discussed mental health on the African continent from some legal perspectives, policy perspectives, from I'd say a macro perspective in general. Now let's go a bit down to what I'd call the grassroots level and we're gonna be looking in this section of the podcast and like, you know, families and how sometimes obviously like, you know, religion is practiced in different households. And I think we're gonna start off with the topic of religion. So obviously I'm going to be referring, I think from our experiences, we're going to be talking about Abrahamic religions. So how Muslim families have dealt with um, you know, mental health issues and for example, how Christian households, I can't really speak for Jewish households because I've not really heard of those um, of people in those backgrounds speaking about this issue. So I, can, I don't want to speak on something I don't know about. But yeah, I mean, from a Muslim perspective, this is what I'll say. <clears throat> obviously, yeah, we know what Islam says, yes, prayer is important, prayer is a a normal day of our lives, you know, it's like, you know, it's a part of our normal days, that's literally what's supposed to be happening on the daily, you're encouraged to make dua, or like, you know, supplications to God, when you want to, obviously, heal from something, and that can even be for a mental health issue, even there's some certain studies that talk about how, listening to certain quran recitations can actually put you at a more relaxed relaxed sort of state so there's obviously that but also like our religion does tell us like you know if you know that there's a place where you can get help like in terms of medicine etc and when you're dealing with let's say physical health issues that you're meant to go to a doctor or a professional to deal with that the same thing applies sorry the same thing applies to things like mental health if you have a mental health problem you're advised, and I think a lot of our religious leaders are from, I think Australia as well have talked about this as well. Um, You're supposed to advise people to actually go and seek out professional health. And I think on the African continent though, uh, some people have been a bit slower to kind of hop on that train. So I wanna hear from you guys. Um, Obviously some of you guys coming from Christian households or at least maybe your friends have come from Christian households. What is it like in those situations and what are the general attitudes toward mental health? And I wanna just briefly explain To the listeners, we're not trying to talk about necessarily the religions themselves because we do know that all all of these different Abrahamic religions, obviously. We talk about how you should actually seek help from professionals we're talking about how the religions actually practiced and how culture can also blend in with religion. And sometimes result in these cases, so let me hear from you guys let's start with Pauline Um, what have you been able to experience in relation to uh, Abrahamic religions being practiced on the African continent and mental health
1: um okay I hope you can hear me so in my view okay I'm going to talk about it in my perspective because yeah I come from a very religious household and you know it's our culture to go to church every Sunday to pray every morning and evening I mean it's something that I've enjoyed and loved doing but something that I've noticed is for the people who may not enjoy and love doing that and come from a similar household than I do are usually shunned from their families and said oh um you know, how can you not believe in God? And this can actually cause cases of depression, because this caused a lot of division in the family. But just as you have said, there is a lot of positive influence from religion on mental health. There are actually so many studies that show that people who are more devoted in faith and actually more devoted in just the generic sense of religion and a supreme power in being and, you know, relating to him and counting on him to be able to fix and just trusting in him in any issue that they may have. It has had a very positive impact on their mental health. And they say the opposite is that, yeah, people who are atheists or who do not believe in all these, you know, Abrahamic religions are actually doomed to mental illnesses. It's actually quite sad because, I mean, both both cases are probably the same because we still see people who are who go to church every Sunday who commit suicide people who who are atheists still commit suicide it's not something that we can really give a general statement of but just in relation to culture and religion I feel like culture has a very negative impact on um, religion in Africa because of course the beliefs are you know it's still a western thing and it's a western ideal so it impacts how pastors and vicars see and how they perceive mental illness and they see it as a demonic force and the devil trying to you know take over your mind and all those irrational thoughts and beliefs are actually not yours they are thoughts that the devil has given you and this is just something that has persisted so much and just I think Michelle will just expand on this on the whole concept of how um, mental health is viewed as A demon and it should be, you know, removed through exorcism and you know, just those spiritual warfare and all those type of things. And personally, okay, I'm gonna say this in the strictest confidence. Before my parents did not believe in psychiatrics or therapists, and I had sought, I had told them, yes, I want to seek this, and they told me, no, there's nothing that can help you. The only thing that can help you is religion. And I mean, I was able to bypass that negative thinking that they had. And now, of course, I am actually seeking counseling through their finances, which is an amazing thing. And I think that's what people just need to do with their parents who may come from a similar situation than I do. Just sit them down and show them why it's important. And yes, you have tried with God and you are still devoted in your faith, but there's still alternative methods, just as Anand has said that, you know, religions still need to profess and they need to be. You know one where they need to understand that you know as much as yes we still should rely on religion there's still other methods that we need because we are not independent beings we're dependent beings and we depend on so many different things and we can't just depend on one
2: um so i feel like a lot of religions at least the abrahamic religions in kenya i know i haven't encountered encountered kenyan jews i don't know if that the Jews in Kenya at all but anyway so I can't speak for them but at least for the Abrahamic religions you know Christianity and Islam a lot of people feel like if you have a mental illness that's a form of possession um the devil has taken over your life or you know the turning to drastic measures such as you know um exorcism and I'm like there's no need for that here's the thing just like prayer and meditation and other forms of um self-care prayer is a good way to help you if you're feeling low or down but that doesn't mean like you being having a mental illness uh that you're possessed that you're not okay that you know the devil is using this to try you and to test your faith and all that and there's always that notion being driven like hey since you have a mental illness your faith is being tested at the moment like listen you don't even need any form of therapy you need more of like um things to strengthen your face to read more of the quran or the, to read more of the bible and things of the sort and i'm like that's a very toxic mindset as it doesn't allow for people to actually get the help that they need maybe someone is not in need of all that like yes it may be beneficial to them but they'll also need medication to help them through battling the mental illness that they have. It's not like someone wakes up one morning and goes like, hey, I'm going to have obsessive compulsive disorder, despite the fact that it's going to affect my daily routine, or have bipolar to have depression. It's not a choice. That's the first thing we need to understand. It's not a choice. It's not because of this child is 24 seven on their gadgets. It's not, that is not the issue. The issue is it could be brain chemistry. It could be um the brain structure. It could be genetics. And people fail to take that into account. So. You know it doesn't mean that if your child has a mental illness that their iman or their faith is weak it doesn't mean that because there's always that notion of hey your faith in god is weak that's why this is happening to you your iman is weak that is why this is happening to you you should pray some more you should it's 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 not okay you should fast or something of the sort like no 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 it's not that is not the right way to handle this and there are lots of people who you know confide in their parents that hey I'm battling this mental illness or i'm battling suicidal thoughts instead of them getting the professional help they need the next thing they know their local um imam or their pastor is being brought to their house to pray for them they're being taken to you know to uh for exorcism and all all those things and it's i I just don't feel like it's okay because the thing is as i've said it can be something supplemental like prayer can be supplemental to what you're battling but that doesn't mean it will solve everything
0: yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you because, I mean, even as, as Muslims, we need to realize that uh, we have this concept in Islam whereby um, the more pious you are, right, the more, okay, basically the way you're living in the world right now, it's you're more likely to be, you're more vulnerable to certain tests because you have to abstain from certain desires or you could be struck by a certain calamity. And we know that the prophets, peace be upon them all in our traditions, were actually some of the people who are, are tested the most and you know there's certain verses of the quran that were actually revealed to tell uh, our beloved prophet muhammad peace be upon him that do not be depressed and to tell some of his companions also do not be depressed about the situations that you've been put through so i think that that's something that we should be able to take from and realize that it's not because your faith is actually low it's literally it could be a test from god and you just have to essentially find obviously professional help and from there you can also be able to Actually, speak to God through prayer, and uh, you'll be able to actually hopefully get through that situation. I think it's so important that we need to uh, involve all these different examples of it's not examples, sorry. We need to really in- involve all these different faith communities to be able to address these issues. And I think it's interesting because now we have all these different interest groups that we've been talking about like when it comes to you know now it's cultures then there's obviously we need to get involved the churches and the mosques in this in this whole entire battle against mental health and I believe Pauline you had wanted to say something as well so feel free to add
1: yeah actually let me just add something that Michelle has just brought across the idea of job and what you've just said that yes God actually does test our faith and it's not just the devil and Uh, We can see it in the book of Job and how he was tested so much with all his skin diseases and the lack of money and, you know, how people used to treat him. No one wanted to see him. And I just want to even bring that across in the real world. There's so many things that are testing our faith. And, you know, I think the parallel I'm going to draw to this is between Generation Z and Generation Y. First of all, I have so much confidence in Generation Z. I feel like we are going to changed so much because our ideologies and beliefs are actually growing with the shift that the whole world is making and maybe Generation Y in which our parents are not able to keep up with. And that divide has caused us to have so many issues. And I think this relates to religion because most of the people who are in the leadership in our religions is like the vicars and the pastors. I'm sorry, I'm not sure what you guys call them in um, the Islamic, sorry, religion. Um, is that they don't understand what we're going through because they haven't experienced the same thing so the whole introduction to social media they don't understand how much it, it can affect us and as Michelle has said, there's so many things that test our faith every day. We don't just wake up one day and we decide to have a mental illness. Social media, our exposure to different social cultures and just how the world has been able to come together. We have not been able to find a way and find a balance to be able to deal with that. And our parents are not subjected and are not, you know, they don't go through the same thing so they don't relate. So I just want to say, yes, I have so much confidence in our generation and we're just going to do such amazing things. But as of now, we need to break that barrier that has been created between our parents and us that they have the belief that, yeah, religion is the only thing that can help. And we think that there are other things that can help. We need to, you know, sort of amalgamate and in order to come together and have some sort of common ground in that area.
0: Yeah. And I think you brought up social media. That'll be our second last topic we discussed before we head off. I think it's so, so important, even as a content creator myself, we're all content creators on this podcast today. I just want to send a small message to all the content creators out there like I know it's difficult and sometimes you know there's all kinds of trolls out there there's all kinds of people especially being a black person online as well like you sometimes you encounter races that come into your life calling you the n-word all this different stuff like I mean we need to we need to just come together guys and support each other and like as a content creator I mean I'm speaking mainly to Kenyan TikTok I remember there was a time where people were pushing this creator, I won't mention any specific names, but they were pushing a specific creator through their comments on his page, um, almost to the brink of suicide. And he was posting about how he didn't feel like his life was worth it anymore. And I think that we need to start considering the implications of our comments on people's timelines. I mean, because you might think that these are just words, but just remember that when people speak, right, Sometimes that is like, you know, what they call verbal violence. You know, you're attacking someone's state of mind. And it's so, so deep for some people because they're not, they don't have the the level of fortitude as someone else to be able to take that. So I think that's something I, I can't force you to, to stop commenting, whatever you're commenting, right? To all these different people who hate for no reason, or I can't stop you from creating hate pages. But I think that actually that in and of itself is a mental health problem that you're probably suffering from too. Right. You're probably suffering from mental health issues and you you probably have so much negative self-talk that you want to just spread that on to other people. Because let's say if, if I go down, then everyone else must go down with me. And like, you know, this is why we, we say that therapy is so important or even just going to people like, you know, counselors just to talk or even having talks with your friends, because you know, talking to someone else who knows about this, they can actually help you navigate these problems significantly. And I just want to know from you guys, what has been the, the social media scene like for you guys um, in terms of mental health? And also one extra thing that I'll add because of time is especially during this period of where Africa is bleeding and, you know, you're seeing all these crazy stories and really traumatic things being shared online. And I, I just want to know your opinions uh, about what's going on. Well, let's start with Michelle.
2: Um, I first off, and then you're, you're speaking facts. <laughs> so the thing is, when you talked about the whole issue of hate pages, we're not gonna mention names. Um, I remember this content creator reached a point where they were genuinely in a bad place, and the comments were really, really awful. Like I remember reading through the page and just going like, "Wow." how are people full of so much violence? Initially, it all started like a joke, like, you know, it's just a, this common joke and then people joined in. But then there were people who were going the extra mile of sending death threats and things of the sort. And that was really disgusting. And the thing is, people fail to realize, even as content creators, like, we do have lies and things that are stressing us because I create, I create content on TikTok. I've been a blogger for about, um, five five years actually five years and I remember when I started out I was really young and I received a message calling me the n-word because you know I was marketing myself on social media marketing my blog on social media and you know someone used a picture from my page calling me the n-word and whatnot and of course you tell yourself hey like I got thick skin and you have to harden up and do this thing but at times the days are just not having it like i remember one day i logged on to tiktok i'm just seeing a bunch of really really mean comments and you know there's a difference between like genuine criticism and i don't mind criticism because at times i have received dms of criticism someone going like hey i like your content but i feel here and here you didn't do as well or like this issue was misinformed and i'm like hey actually let me take that down let me correct what i said that is okay but then it's a whole other thing to just come here and hate on my looks and hate on how I, I look like and all that. Yet you don't even know my battles as a person. So the thing is, I remember that day there was just loads of you know mean comments, and I don't usually have um notifications on for TikTok or any other social media. So I even I, I DM'd you on TikTok and I was like, hey, I'm not having it today. Like it was a really tough day, and I was just not having it. And as we talk about social media, let's not sort of even talk about the whole perception of social media and the stress it puts on us uh to have a certain type of life you know social media people portray their best life like let me not lie i'm one of those people (laughs) like we're all living our best life on social media we look like happy people we look like we have it all so by someone social media you see hey they're in a happy relationship they go to a good school they live in like um in a good place and they happen to um, be able to afford all these luxuries and they're like living this kind of seven rings Ariana Grande type of life where I want it I got it and you're not living that life you're like hey someone is going out of the country for the holidays and you know they thinking about going to a rural area and you're like what did I do to deserve this? And there's those, this whole you know, thing of comparing yourself to another person based off social media. Another thing is, what I would like to emphasize is that people never put out their worst side on social media. I'm not going to post that. Like, listen, am I going to post me crying ugly tears because of my grades? Like, very few people are willing to do that. And I genuinely appreciate creators who take their time to be vulnerable with us and go like, hey, today was not good. I do share some insight what it is like living with a chronic illness on my social media because I want people to know that hey just like any other human being I have struggles too, and I don't want you to ever compare yourself um, yourself to me because this is my best version what you're seeing is my best version you've not seen my worst version so there's, there's that. There's also the idea of online activism. I do appreciate what online activism has done. It has done amazing things for us. We were able to, you know, the whole thing of changing our social media profiles to blue for Sudan last year. People didn't see the whole point, um, but we were able to raise awareness on what was happening in Sudan. The internet was shut down. There There was a lot going on in Sudan at that time. We were able to talk about, um, you know, Islamophobia from France this year. Um, France, Macron issuing out very Islamophobic statements. We're able to talk about what's happening in Cameroon, the Anglophone crisis. We're able to talk about, you know, am I next in South Africa? And we're able to talk about gender-based violence in Namibia, and we're able to talk about what is happening in DRC and all that. But at times it can get overwhelming. As a human being, you're digesting all of these things. Some of them impact you directly maybe from DRC, you may have a loved one who's from DRC and you're like, wow, you know, mining being done by eight-year-olds, how is that not supposed to take a toll on, you, on your mental health and how you're feeling? So the thing is with online activism, especially if you're an online activist, like just sometimes it's okay to take a break. It's okay not to indulge in all those posts and you're not a performative activist if, uh, if you don't post all the time about these things because just like any other human being, you also deserve to have moments of being happy and enjoying life.
0: Yeah Michelle as as you said those are just there's so much and actually you know what we're going to we're going to talk about internet activism next week. Um so I'm glad that you brought that up and I think that internet activism is one of those things where I feel like as Gen Z we've sort of put a pressure on us to sort of solve the world's issues and it's not just one issue it's like there's a trillion issues and I think that a lot of people also give us as creators slack when we're not talking about certain issues. It's like, can you speak about this? Can you speak about this? Can you speak about this? And I want just my followers, especially to know, it's like, I know what's going on and we're trying, right? And like a lot of people, if you shouldn't also just solely rely on someone to use their platform to speak about it, but maybe you could be the one who speaks about that. And I think that obviously we can't save everyone. And I think that's an unfortunate fact, but we all need to sort of swallow that reality. And like, you know, mental health, I think is all about um, you know being able to manage emotions. And going back to what you said about showing off your best life. I mean, if, if we're talking about how certain interest groups can view mental health, from an Islamic perspective, I can already see how certain <clears throat> hadiths from the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, relate to mental health. Because uh, he has a hadith, peace be upon him, where he talks about how the best kinds of, the richest people are those who are content. So it's not about all oh, materialism, this and that. It's not about how much you've been able to accumulate in wealth. It's like, are you content with what's on your table? And I think that now, even from a Christian perspective, I'm guessing that there's certain verses in the Bible um, that you know that certain preachers could be able to use. And you know, you can actually see that there are clear crossroads between some religion and mental health in certain aspects. So definitely there's that. And um we'll go to Pauline and then we'll start talking about the last topic, which is like family and how we can basically use the family dynamic to be able to sort out of mental health issues but let's hear from Pauline what's your what's your thought on social media and just give us some general thoughts around that area
1: all right um, I think everything Michelle has just said is just amazing because yeah I relate to it on a very deep level because I made a note to always take breaks from social media because I realize even if it's not online activism and all those hate crimes that may trigger me it's also just what people post and the realization that there's so many facades and masks and the fact that people didn't really tell the truth on social media they just tell that they're living the best life and they only tell the good things and you know they never tell the other side to the story and I mean I barely post because I realize yes I am in a very dark place and there's no point of telling people yes I'm living my best life when I'm not because pretending that you are living your best life when you're not actually takes more energy and it takes a deeper toll on your mental health and so another thing I just wanted to bring up is that social media doesn't have a filter I mean the people who own Instagram and Facebook whatever his name is Mark Zuckerberg um, I think one video that I watched was um, I'm sure you know Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez the I think she's a Congresswoman in the US, she actually contended against Mark saying how um, he doesn't actually take any precautions or he doesn't have any sort of regulations in that if he finds someone is being targeted to bring that post down, if he finds that someone you know, is abusing their powers on social media to prohibit them from doing those things. And he tried to defend himself saying yes, we always give them warnings, and she literally asked him so are you trying to tell me you're not going to bring down lies, and this actually ties down to what Michelle was saying of how. um, You know people always just speak they never actually have a filter they don't have any sort of. You know, they don't think about the other person how it can affect them, how it can affect content creators by bringing them down and saying all these terrible things. And I feel like it is upon the people who own the social media things to make sure that it is being desensitized, that it is being regulated in each and eaten every possible way. So for me, oh God, I could go on about social media forever, but I think Michelle has pretty much covered everything I talked, wanted to talk about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for that, Pauline. And I think uh, we'll have to kind of wrap up after this. But uh, I just want to briefly talk about family dynamics in relation to how we can be able to use the family dynamics to actually help people overcome mental health issues. I think that we need to obviously inculcate this into our generation, because a lot of the parenting for our generation is basically done. right? Most of us have come out of homes where, for example, there might have been a very positive or a very negative take on mental health. but also i just want to focus a bit on a bit of a controversial topic but the idea of child beating so we we've talked we've talked about this before and uh, i think we've we've sort of glossed over it as as a sort of joke right and it's something that's you know it's not necessarily particular to every african household but it's in the memes and a lot of them, these memes actually speak truth based on a representative form right so i think that in my opinion about beating and like you know forms of discipline I think that as as our independent owned communities I'm not speaking for the whole continent because I know it's very different we need to come together to speak about how we can discipline our children I would argue without beating because you create a barrier between you and your child to actually speak about difficult issues and for example like some people also go to the lens of let's say kicking the child out of the house when they find out that let's say they're pregnant or let's say they might uh, kick you out of the house when they find out that you've had sex with someone before marriage or for different reasons, right? And I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm from the perspective that this is someone that's your family, right? This is someone that you've promised to sort of care for, right? And I think there's different ways of disciplining without actually using, I would say, borderline abusive methods, depending on obviously the context, right? And I think that that's something we need to just sort of critically look at ourselves and just think of like you know, are we really parenting our children the right children in the right way, and look at the effects that that can possibly have on mental health, and could you possibly actually let's say through, let's say you beat your child like really badly, and sometimes it's not even for for any particular reason, right? Could you possibly be the cause of someone, not necessarily cause, but could you be a contributing factor to someone being? Uh, a spousal abuser, right? You know, someone who's abusing their spouse in the future. And these are actual things that we need to look at in our community. Like, and also just even like how that affects people in the workplace, how that affects people in school. I think we should use the family dynamic as a sort of space, safe space. We need to focus on creating a safe space for people, especially during this COVID-19 sort of era for people to, especially in African households, to so just like talk about their issues, you know, and to essentially confide in their family members, to deal with conflicts in mature ways, while also if there's discipline that is required, we do that in a way that is actually healthy for people in terms of mental health. So let me know from you guys what what you guys think.
2: Um when you talk about you know, the issue of corporal punishment and beating up children, generally speaking, there are a lot of studies against beating up children. And a lot of people usually use the, well, I turned out fine um, you know, when they talk about corporal punishment and try to justify beating up their children. And like, well, I turned out fine. Uh, the fact that you want to project violence onto your child when they've done something wrong is a problem in itself. There's a huge problem when you just want to be violent towards a child when they've done something wrong. There are different ways to go about conflict. Um, there are different ways to actually solve mistakes a child has done. For example, try and explain to your child why what they've done is wrong. You know, beating up the beating up your child, you've not solved the issue, you've not uh, you know, explained to them why what they've done is wrong. Of course, there are repercussions to mistakes, but mistakes and and not even mistakes, but like, you know, intentional mistakes, like when someone has made a a bad decision intentionally, but beating them doesn't solve it at the end of the day. After you beat them, they'll become okay. immune to pain and be like, I I know I'm going to get whooped after this and uh, life moves on. But if they understand why there's an issue with this, why it is wrong to do this said action. For example, if it's premarital sex and let's say you've grown up in a religious household and they teach you about, Um, you know, there's a possible risk of pregnancies, There's STIs, there's HIV and AIDS. If I teach you the risks that come with what your decision, what decision you're about to make, of course, you'll be at at a better point to be like, hey, what I'm about to do is actually really really wrong. So um, I'm not going to do that. So let's try teaching children that. Let's try teaching them in a way that they understand the mistake and they understand why what they've done is wrong. At the same time, the action still is having repercussions, if it could be even... um, I don't know, being grounded or something. We always view this as quote unquote white, um, you know, things like being grounded um and all that. We always make jokes as Africans about oh, um, you know, the way they were whooped when I was whooped for doing A B C D when I was whooped. And you know, we've normalized that in at least for most of African children. It's always like <laughs> I was whooped for this, I was whooped for that. But Is it healthy? Have studies actually backed this up? And they haven't. They haven't been in favor of corporal punishment. So we need to find new ways to discipline children. And especially in the COVID-19 era, as we are battling such a state of a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of uncertainty when it comes to school, whether there will be school in person or not, whether um, the conference will continue on. People have lost opportunities during this COVID-19 period. People have lost jobs. So how about we create healthy structures in a household to help children cope during these difficult times? And not children also, but also spouses. Let's also find mature ways of conflict resolution. Not everything has to turn into an argument that goes out of proportion and words are yelled that people will regret. I don't have to insult you for me to communicate why I feel like you wronged me. It doesn't always have to be like that. Let's find healthy ways of conflict resolution. Let's also find healthy ways to allow for people's mental health to prosper be it you know having like a a day in as a family having a game night playing Monopoly and all that just healthy things that help people cope at this difficult moment.
1: Mm, I completely agree with everything you have just said Michelle especially the point of how you know when parents are actually inflicting this form of violence how like the fact that they don't realize that that's a problem in itself. Like, that's their instincts, like, that's their reflex. Why shouldn't their reflex be let's sit down and talk about this and figure out how we can fix the situation? And I think that's a very important point that there's no communication, especially in the African families. Our parents always assume, they always, you know, think, okay this child should already know they shouldn't have sex before marriage because they probably learned it in school. They probably learned it in church, but they don't actually tell their children, don't do it because of this, this, and this. And if you think you want to do it, come to me first or come to this person or tell someone first. They always just assume that we know the right and wrong and they don't teach us. So the whole communication is just, it has just broken down. And I think another thing, that I just wanted to raise is um, okay. I'm pretty sure you guys know this, but corporal punishment—what was in our law in which people used to be punished? Yeah, in Kenya, um, in that they were beaten as a form of punishment. And our parents grew up in that time, so I guess they also have that notion that it's okay. The same thing that Michelle said—I got through it and I'm fine now. And you know, it's something that is okay, but it is not because any form of violence, any form of punishment. As you can see, even people on the streets who are abused, let's say police brutality or any form, like how can we not relate that type of violence to abuse at home? And it has the same sort of implications because it has the same negative impact on people's mental health. And I think what you've raised is very important is mental literacy and just I feel like, yeah, Adnan will know what I'm talking about when I say alternative dispute resolution, we should have alternative methods of being able to communicate between our parents and our children and how we, you know, come to terms and how we actually sit down and have conversations. And I feel like this is, okay, in my view, it's something that's, you know, very white and very Western. But like once you look at the facts, once you look at the evidence and see how much it can actually make a difference instead of punishments in terms of violence is actually extraordinary because you actually gain a connection between you and your parents on a deeper level than you would because the whole basis of them beating the children is so that they could fear them so i don't understand how that's going to help me me having to fear my parents each and every day so having that thought of let me not do this because you know my parents will beat me like that really isn't fixing anything, and I feel like it's actually making a situation worse because it increases your anxiety levels, it increases your PTSD, your depression, because you're just afraid of your parents. And that's just a terrible thing to be at and a terrible place to be at because it also relates how you also treat your children. So, yeah, that culture just needs to end. And, yeah, I think we've pretty much covered everything.
0: Yeah. I think that's gonna wrap it up for our podcast, guys. Thank you so so much to Michelle and Pauline for being able to attend. First of all, guys, as usual, go follow I am Abieru on TikTok uh, for some more interesting content, and she's done a lot of educational stuff on mental health. And the same thing for within dot without, right? Sorry, within and without, right? So it's it's an N right? Go and follow them yeah, on
1: Instagram. Dot and dot without.
0: Yeah. without, yes, yeah, yeah, go. So <laughs> that's, go and follow them, go and follow them, guys. Make sure that you go and do that. A lot of interesting content on mental health in general. And I think what I'll close off by saying is that, you know, mental health is not about, you know, Eastern or Western culture. It's not about, for, for, like, you know, forfeiting your culture. It's about quality of life. And that's something that all of us, regardless of who you are, whether you're Muslim, Christian, whether you are Luo, whether you're Kikuyu, whether you're Isizulu, you know, all of these different tribes, regardless of who you are, where you come from, we all share that idea of quality of life. And we can all agree that with a better mental health, we can have a better quality of life. And that's something that all of us should be aiming for. So thank you guys so much um, for listening. We're going to close off here. Next week, we're going to be talking about internet activism and whether it is effective or not. But again, thank you guys to the guests as well. We'll just find a way to get this podcast out to you guys as fast as possible and some extra cuts, et cetera. So I'm really excited for this season. Thank you again and see you.